Uh, we're going to um, pick up where we kind of left off last week. We, we spent a lot of time looking at the, at, at the, the heavens. Uh, come over to Job 25. That's where we need, we're going to start. Um, I don't have an overhead or any of that because you're not here. So I don't, I'm not going to be looking and clicking or anything like that. But we'll, we'll, we'll go and we're going to look at some things here this morning as we continue that. Because honestly, in this great time of chaos and panic and uncertainty, it, it is uh, a great hope and a great comfort to know that we are a part of the, the, God's plan and what, and what he's going to be doing out in the heavenly places in the future. And, and again, we, started la- we, we went down through a lot of information last week. And last time we talked about the issue of the the um, the structure of the universe, and and we and we went back to Genesis, and, and we've got basically a triangle. It's probably a little crooked um, because that's I see crooked. We have the issue of the deep above, and we have the the, the deep the water below. We have the earth here, and then. God takes this firmament, which is a closed firmament. We call this the universe out there. Uh, literally, as we begin to study and as we begin to move along in our study, we're going to see that this second heaven is really the heavenly places and where we're going to be, to be at. You have the throne room of God up in the third heavens, outside of the containment. The containment, the container is there to take care and, and deal with the issue and to contain the issue of Satan and sin and the adversary and everything. And in, in that day there in Genesis 1 where we went back to, we saw how uh, God decorated this universe with stars. And the stars were there for signs and for wonders and for seasons and to do things and really to begin to communicate the word of God and, and the message. And, and again, if you think about the moon runs the, the oceans, you know, the full moon does certain things to certain things on the earth and, and Israel. It, it's, you got Job, right? Hold on to Job and flip back to Genesis chapter 1. I, it's fascinating how God set this up in the very beginning, verse 5, Genesis 1, 5. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and the evening and morning were the first day. And, and again, that's fascinating how day is counted. The 24-hour period in Scripture in the Old Testament with the nation of Israel started in the evening and went to the next day, the morning. So you've got this, this issues that are happening there, the moon, the sun, the stars. Go back to Job 25 now. And what we began to see last time and, and, and kind of where we left off was Job 25 and verse number 5. Job 25, 5. Behold, even to the moon, and it shineth not. Yea, the stars are not pure in his sight. So the stars, the, the issues there of the, the, if you come over to chapter 38 of Job, chapter 38, and, and again, I'll tell you, there's more information about creation 
and what God's doing in the, in the book of Job than there is in Genesis. There's more information in the book of Psalms. And, and last time we ran a bunch of verses and Psalms and stuff where the heavens are stretched and, and all this stuff. And I did that so that you could see and get the feel that there's so much information going on here that it literally we just don't do it justice in an hour or two. Job 38, if you look there at verse 7, when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. You see the, the lights, the stars, and you, and you see a reference to morning stars, and you see a reference to the sons of God. And this issue there of, of getting the message out and the stars not being pure, come back with me to... Genesis 6. You're in Genesis 1. Just look over at Genesis 6. Um, I, I try to look at this and how to kind of ha handle some of this. When he talks there about the sons of, uh, of God, he's talking about the angels. Uh, Genesis 6, if you will, you have Noah, verse 1, and it came to pass when, when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and the daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were fair, and they took them wives of all which they chose. So the sons of God does a reference to angels, the morning stars. Lucifer in Isaiah is called the son of the morning. So the morning stars are part of that angelic host. The sons of God are part of that angelic host. And their job was to keep and to produce and to promote the word of God, to have that influence and that communication route to the, 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 to the, to the earth. But what happened was, was Isaiah 14, we're not going to go there, we see this great turmoil where Lucifer says, I will. And he begins to become the leader of the rebellion amongst creation. And where he begins to take now, and he says, I will be like the Most High. And he begins to lay out all of what he's going to do. And ultimately, Ezekiel 28 tells us that the Lord, that he falls. And iniquity got him, and pride gets him, and he falls. And when he falls, he takes a third of the angelic host, Revelation tells us. Well, when he does that, that then pollutes the, the heavenly places, the, the stars. Now, you're in Genesis 6. Notice real carefully here what begins to happen. Because the sons of God have fallen. Lucifer has fallen. Lucifer has now worked on Adam and Eve, got man to fall. Now we're down the road a few years. Okay, several hundred years. And now you're going to have Noah, verse 3. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always grieve, or shall not always strive with who? With man. For that he also is flesh, yet his day shall be a hundred and twenty years. There were giants in the earth in those days, and also after that, when the sons of, da of God came in unto the daughters of men, and they bare children to them, the same became mighty men, which were of old, men of renown. So you've got the angels that are coming in, and they're having relationships with the daughters of men. It's very clear there. Okay, of who we're talking about. So we've got some things that, and then, by the way, God now 
says, verse 6, And it repented the Lord that he hath made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. So he looks over at Noah and says, Noah, I'm going to send judgment. It's going to be the flood on man. Now, I, had a, I have an email from a gentleman, and he's like, see, there's nothing in Genesis 6 about God judging the angels, so the sons of God can't be angels, but yet they are angels. Because come over to Jude chapter 6. Well, it's one chapter. Jude 6. Jude chapter 1 and verse number 6. Here's where God judges the angels that are back there in Genesis 6. And, and the reason I'm doing this is because of, we're going to be talking about Paul in the heavens. That's the title of this morning's message. Because right now, back here in creation, the stars are there, the moon's there, the sun's there, the planetary systems are all there. And yet so are the sons of God, the angels. They're there. They've had opportunity to do some things and to promote. But the adversary has slipped in. And when the adversary slipped in, he took that and he polluted all of that. But God has a plan. Now look at Jude 6, just so you see this. And the angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation. He hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness, under the judgment of the great day. Even as Sodom and Gomorrah and Ophias. So verse 6 it's talking about Genesis 6, the first six verses there. But this is talking about what God did to the angelic host. Genesis is talking about what God did to man. Now look at the verse very carefully. And the angels which kept not their first estate, kept not, past tense. This is in the past. This is what happened back there. Kept not their first, what? Estate. Okay, it's interesting, we call it real estate, their place. In heaven up here, they have an estate. You know, somebody dies and they deal with their estate, their properties, the real estate. In, in Revelation, when Michael, in Revelation 12, when Michael and, and the devil fight, they lose their place, it's called, their part. They lose that place. There's a literal, physical, visible in the spirit realm, place. And we're going to look at that. Then he calls it habitation. But they left their own habitation. Well, they're going to live in the estate. They're going to live there. They've got a place in, in, out here in this second heaven. In this heaven, and by the way, the first heaven sits around the, the, the earth there. It's the open firmament where the birds fly and so forth. But they, they have this place. They have a, it's called a habitation. They've left it. What they do, they went down and they visited the daughters of men. They left it. They went down there. And so what did God do with them? He reserved an everlasting chains under darkness, under the judgment of the... He, he took those angels that did that and he put them down there in the darkness, in the deep. And he's reserved them there for, till the day of judgment. Now, the sons of God. Let's just think about that term here for just a minute. In Scripture, the sons of God start out to be called and labeled as angels. 
and it's the angelic host. Come back with me. You're in Jude. Come back to Job again with Job chapter number 1. How do you know they're angels? Job chapter 1. I'm trying to go a little quicker because I'm trying to get over into something else, but we got to clean this up from last week because I didn't get to it. (laughs) Okay? Job chapter 1. Notice, if you will, verse 6. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. And the Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth, and from walking up and down in it. So obviously the sons of God here aren't men. They are angels. There's a meeting It's called the Mount, the Congregation of the North, where there's an accountability, and there's a meeting here to it. And when that happens, Satan is there, so these are angels. Come over to um, well, chapter 38, but we already saw that. Come on over to John, John chapter 3, John chapter... Well, that's not it either. So, they are the sons of God, okay? (laughs) I'm having a brain freeze here. Come over to Romans chapter 8. Let's just go on to Romans 8. So, and kind of cut this down here just a little bit on this issue. So, the sons of God, Romans chapter 8, start out to be angels in Scripture. All right? So, get... Romans 8 and get John 1. Romans 8 and John 1. We'll start in John 1 first. John 1, just kind of come across here. John 1. Then that's where they start. John 1, verse number 12. John 1, verse number 12. Okay? John 1 and verse 12. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the what? The sons of God. Now the sons of God is going to move. It's going to move to the nation of Israel. Verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. Verse 14, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. So the word, there he is, what's he going to do? Verse 11, he came unto his own, and his own received him not. When the Lord Jesus Christ came, he came to the nation of Israel. They didn't receive him, but as many as received him, there's the little flock, the believing remnant. To them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, where, which were born, not of blood, nor of the will of, man, of, of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So the nation of Israel, the little flock specifically, if you will, they are going to be, they are labeled the sons of God. Okay? Come over to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. And we're going to look here at verse 14, Romans chapter 8, and we're going to look here at verse 14, Uh, Romans 8 and verse number 14, Romans 8, 14, 
For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the what? The sons of God. Now, the body of Christ, we're going to carry that label, the sons of God. Okay? So the Son of God, that term, is going to be critical as we go through. It starts with the angels, but it's going to move to Israel, and it's going to be given... That label is going to be given to the little flock, the true Israel of God, and it's going to be given to the church, the body of Christ. Now hold on to Romans 8. Come with me to Philippians chapter 2. Give you a few more verses, just another verse here. Philippians 2 and verse number 15. That ye, that'll be body of Christ, specifically the members there at Philippi, may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. Notice the goal is, is out there at the end, is to be what? Without rebuke, blameless, but what are we called? The sons of God. Come over to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. This was a verse I was thinking about a minute ago, when I, but I thought it was in Job. <laughs> been a long morning already. 1 John 3, notice if you will verse 1. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Talking about Israel, the little flock. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear that we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear... We shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. What is that little flock wait? Go back to Romans 8. What are they waiting for? They're waiting for him to come back in his kingdom over here, aren't they? They're waiting for the kingdom, and they say, In the kingdom, we will be the sons of God. That's going to be one of our titles. One of what are we going to be called? Now look at Romans 8. In Romans 8. We have some more information. Verse 18, For I reckon that the suffering of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Now watch, for the earnest expectation of the creature, that will be creation, waiteth for the manifestation of who? The sons of God. So that's not talking about these guys, because they're already there. He's waiting for the manifestation when... The body of Christ sits in their heavenly places, in their positions out there. So we're waiting for the rapture, if you will, just to use a term easily, and to be placed into the heavenly places. And creation is waiting for the sons of God to be in their place as the church, the body of Christ, and then as the believing remnant of Israel in the kingdom. Okay? Now, that's going to be critical here. By the way, I love verse 19. They're waiting. It isn't there yet. The church, the body of Christ, is not in the heavenly places, and Israel is not in her kingdom yet. That's one, another one of those verses that helps you deal with the religious system out there. What are they waiting for? They're waiting for... The manifestation of the sons of God. They're waiting for 
the, the heavens to be back under the headship of the Lord Jesus Christ and the earth to be back underneath the kingship of the Lord Jesus Christ and everything be back where it belongs. Isn't that Ephesians 1 verse 9 and 10? What the will of the Father, what the plan of the glory plan is all about. So there's going to be this movement here in time between all of that. Now, come over with me. Uh, well, you're in Romans 8. Just, by the way, keep reading there, verse 20. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who has subject the same in hope. That helps you understand who the creature is. Verse 21, because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. There it is. They're waiting for who? You and I, we're called the children of God. Israel's called the children of God. When we're in our rightful positions out there in the ages to come, okay, when we're in that position out there and we're there, then guess what the creation is going to do? It's going to rejoice. What's literally going to happen, and I took away my erasers, is, well, we'll just do it over here. We're talking about the new heaven and the new earth. That's what we're dealing with when we talk about his plan. When we were talking about last time about the creation, it's in a container, and one day it will be free of that container to then multiply, and, and we'll talk some more about that in the future. So that's wrapping up from last week, because the sons of God become an issue. They start out being angels. Man is just getting going. Then God says, I'm going to do something with mankind that the angels failed to do because of the adversary. I'm going to come, and I'm going to die for them, and Israel's going to have a benefit, and the church, the body of Christ, which I kept secret, that mystery information, there's going to be a benefit, and it's going to benefit the whole of creation in the new heaven and the new earth. Okay? Come over with me to Romans chapter 1. H how we get to all of that, <laughs> that's the conclusion. We started in the beginning. That's what we're going to spend the next several weeks talking about and looking at. When we come to the issue of you and I, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about Israel a little bit, but I'm more interested in us. And I'm more interested in you and I having a concept, a grasp, a comprehension of the breadth, the length, and the depth, and the height, and to know some things here about our future. Again, we got stuff going on around us in the world that everybody looks at and buries their head. Uh, you know, the sky is falling mentality. But yet you and I, we need to have this in our uh, armament. In, you know, I go hunting. We use a bow. We got arrows. We call it a quiver. Let's have this in our quiver. We go shooting. We got an ammo box. Let's have it in our ammo box. Let's have it there in our magazine that will then keep us from falling for all that issue. Again, we saw the lights, the closed firmament, and we see this happen as well. When you come to Paul and you come to the church, the body of Christ, and you begin to look at the eternal purpose in Christ that we have, we 
begin to see that Paul begins to use some terms that we need to kind of be familiar with. He's going to use the word heaven and heavens. And I think in our, the rest of the morning, we just need to kind of get that in, into our thinking. Paul uses the word heavens just two times, heavens with the S. He uses it, if you hold on to Romans 1, look over at 2 Corinthians 5. Let me give them to you. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse number 1. 2 Corinthians 5, 1. And we're going to spend time in 2 Corinthians 5 because it talks about uh, our bodies. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 1. For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Well, let's think about this. God, you and I, this is the current situation. We are here on planet Earth. He's in the third heaven. Our job is to have a body where? In the heavens. It's up here, and it's going to be down here until he finishes out, and we have the new. Look, if you will, over to Ephesians 4 and verse number 10. We'll elaborate on all of this more deeply as we move across. Here's the other place where Paul uses the term heavens with the plural, with the S on it. Uh, verse 9, now that, now, now that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens that he might fill all things. And again, Who's the one that went down? Who's the one that ascended? That's obviously the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's, again, where Paul uses the term heavens. Only in those two places, 2 Corinthians 5, Ephesians 4. Now come back to Romans 1. In our Roman study, we're stuck in verse 16. We'll get there in there next week, and we'll finish that verse up. But verse 18, Paul begins right off the bat here. And he, he uses the word heaven. Verse 18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Heaven. The wrath of God is revealed in heaven. And again, I want to see the, I just want you to notice where he's using these. In understanding right division and what he's doing, he immediately, in the beginning of Romans, brings in this concept of going to heaven and things coming out of heaven down to us. Come over to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. I'm just going to look at a few verses here, um, several verses, all the verses. No, I'm just kidding. Romans 10, where he begins to use that word heaven because Paul's focus is on heaven. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth and the earth. And from Genesis 1.2 all the way down to mid-Acts, Acts 9, the focus has been the earth. Now the focus is where? The heaven. Romans 10, verse number 6. But the righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this wise, say not in thy heart, who shall ascend into heaven? That is, to bring Christ down from above. Or who shall descend into the deep? That is to bring up Christ again from the dead. Again, Paul quoting the Old Testament, 
but he, he uses that issue of the word heaven. Um, when, by the way, he, he's quoting Deuteronomy 30 and, and so forth, 1 Corinthians chapter 8. So Romans, he uses the word heaven, 1 Corinthians chapter 8. 1 Corinthians chapter 8. 1 Corinthians 8 and verse 5 and verse 6. 1 Corinthians 8, verse 5, and verse 6. For though, for though there be that are called gods, whether in heaven or in earth, as many there be gods many and lords many, but to us there is but one God, the Father, of whom are all things, and we in him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we by him. Again, just that issue of heaven, whether, but it's connected to, to God and that issue of idols and idolatry, which are, be in heaven or in the earth. Come over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 47. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 47. When Paul looks at the term heaven or heavenly places, the places is what's plural, but the location is what is singular, heaven. Because when the Lord Jesus Christ, and God, actually when the Godhead, let's say it like that, creates the new heaven and the new earth, there is only going to be one heaven again. And actually the earth sits in the heaven. The earth is going to sit in the heavenly places, if you will. Places is what's plural, but the heaven isn't. So in Paul's mind, he would never, he only says there in, in Corinthians, in, in 1 Corinthians, uh, 2 Corinthians 12, I was caught up to the third heaven. It's even singular in that moment because the focus is the heaven. The body of Christ, our focus is going, is to the heaven. 1 Corinthians 15, look at verse 47. 1 Corinthians 15, 47. The first man is of the earth, earthy. The second man is the Lord from heaven. Isn't that interesting? He just says heaven. 2 Corinthians 12. Here's the passage I just was referencing. 2 Corinthians 12 and verse 2. I knew a man in Christ above 14 years ago, whether in the body I cannot tell, or whether out of the body I cannot tell, God knoweth. Such a one caught up to the third heaven. Again, the plurality, the singularness of heaven. That's what we're talking about. Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1. This is an interesting verse, Galatians 1 verse 8. This is a verse that, that I think that Paul has revelation sitting on the table or in his binder of books already there on his shelf. So revelation, therefore, would have to have been written pretty early, not late as most of the commentaries want it to be. Verse 8, Galatians 1, 8. But though we are an angel from heaven... Preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you. Let him be accursed. Now, not all the angels are from heaven, by the way. But Paul's here talking to us. By the way, angels, wonderful things, wonderful subjects. We've studied it in the past. 
Angels for you and I are not good things. That's what Paul's saying here. Because when you go over to Revelation 14, verse 6 and 7, where there is going to be an angel that is going to talk to the Gentiles about the everlasting gospel, that's not a good thing because in Revelation 14, when that happens, it's in the 70th week of Daniel, it's in the tribulation. So for you and I, an angel talking to us is not a good thing. Now for Israel, it's a good thing. That's why the angels belong to the, the, uh, Israel's program and so forth. I digress. Ephesians 1. Ephesians 1, verse 10. Ephesians 1, verse 10. That in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on the earth, even in him. There's the plan. Chapter 3 of Ephesians. Chapter 3, verse 15. 315 of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. Chapter 6, Ephesians 6, verse number 9. And ye masters, do the same things unto them, forbearing threatening, knowing that your master also is in heaven, neither is there respect to persons with him. Three times he uses that word heaven in, in the book of Ephesians. The great book, the founding doctrinal book of, what, of the goal, of the plan, of the corporate issues of the church, the body of Christ, why God's doing what he's doing by forming and filling up and being seated in the heavenly places, all of that information. And you know what he says? Three times he uses that term heaven. That's the most he uses it here. Three times he says heaven, heaven, heaven. Come over to Philippians 2. You notice, by the way, we're going through each book of Paul's epistles. Ephesians 2, verse 10 and 11. Ephesians 2, verse 10 and 11. Ephesians 2, verse 10. That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in the earth and things under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. The name of Jesus, what's he called? Lord, owner. He owns it. He's the possessor of heaven and earth, Genesis 14 calls it. He owns it all. But notice how Paul lays out the three things that are, in that, that are going to bow, the things in the heaven. Who, who sits in the heaven right now? The angelic host, all of them. What are they going to do? They're going to bow their knee to him. Who's in the earth? Mankind, humanity. What are they going to do? Bow their... Who's under the earth? Notice how he says that. Under the earth. Who sits in hell and down here in the deep in the lake of fire outside? That's going to be all of that. That's going to be that fallen creation. So, who's in the heaven, by the way? Over here. Let's go over here. Who's in the heaven here? We are. Believers. Who's on the earth? Believers. Who sits down here at the bottom of the universe in the lake of fire? Unbelievers. Right? The lost. So the saved are going to bow and the lost are going to bow. Everybody's bowing that knee. But you and I, our focus is the heaven. Philippians, yeah. Chapter 2. Did I, I, we were in Ephesians. Okay. I should have, if I did say Ephesians 2, it's Philippians 2. <laughs> I, I could have been. 
It's very easy. That was Philippians 2, verse 10 and 11. Philippians 2, verse 10 and 11. Now we need Philippians 3 and verse 20. Philippians 3 and verse 20. I'm just trying to show you that Paul focuses on the heaven. Paul says the body of Christ, we should be focusing on the heaven and the heavenly places. And, And our future is up there. Philippians chapter 3 and verse number 20. For our conversation is in heaven. From thence, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able to subdue all things unto himself. Again, our conversation where we're, our focus, I, I know you think about that word conversation. You know, people have, uh, Schofield's got a, a note here on it, and he calls it citizenship. And that's not what he's talking about. He's rather talking about lifestyle. He, he's talking about uh, 1 Peter 3. Look over at 1 Peter 3. Peter uses it here the same way. 1 Peter 3. Because you can have a conversation without saying a word. You can have a conversation by your lifestyle. 1 Peter 3, 1. Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives. While they behold your chaste, conversation coupled with fear. Isn't that interesting? That's how Paul's talking about. Do you know, you realize that you can win over someone by not saying a word, but just by living, having behavior that becometh saints, by living the life as who you are in Christ. That's what he's, that's what Paul's talking about in Philippians 3. From our for our conversation, our lifestyle, our behavior. <laughs> Where's our thinking? Come back, come back to Colossians 1. Where are we going? What are we moving for? We're going to heaven. We're moving towards the heavenly places. Where's our home? The heavenly places. Where are we? We're going there. That's, what we, that's, where we're, that's where our conversation is focused on. And by the way, the passage in Philippians 3, verse 20 and 21, he instantly changes our vile body into his glorious body. And when we study our body thing next time, our new bodies, what, we get a body like his, man, it's unreal. But it's designed to focus and to minister in the heavenly, the heavenly places. Okay? Colossians chapter what did I tell you? One, Colossians 1. You guys with me? Okay. All right. Colossians 1. I have to get one of those in every message because I usually say that with everybody sitting here. Are you with me? You're okay? All right. Colossians 1, verse 5. For the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof ye heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel. Verse 16. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. Verse 20, and having made peace through the blood of his cross, 
of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself. By him I say, whether there be things in earth or things in heaven. Verse 23, if you continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which ye have heard, and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister. It's interesting, four times in one chapter, what's he bring up? Heaven, 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 heaven. Okay, and, and I'm not, we're not after the context. I, want, I just want you to see how many times he uses that thinking in the terminology. Chapter 4 of Colossians. By the way, Colossians and Ephesians are the heaviest places he talks about heaven. They are literally sister books of each other. Ephesians gives the doctrine. You're in chapter 4, right? Ephesians gives the doctrine. Colossians gives one-line things about the doctrine you should have learned in Ephesians. Colossians 1.4, Masters give unto your servants that which is just and equal, knowing that ye also have a master in heaven. 1 Thessalonians 1. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse number 10. 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 10. And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. Isn't that interesting? We're waiting for his son from heaven. Chapter 4, 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 16. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with the shout and with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first and off we go again the lord himself shall descend from heaven second thessalonians 1 second thessalonians 1 verse 6 and 7 this is the last time paul uses the term heaven okay first thessalonians 1 Verse 6, seeing it is a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you. And to you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. In Timothy, in Titus, and Philemon, there's no representation, there's no talk about, there's no use of, the term, there's a talk about it, but there's no use of the term heaven. Obviously, Titus 2, we're looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearing and stuff like that. But there's no use of the term heaven. Now, Timothy, Titus, and Philemon are pastoral epistles. Their focus is the ambassador on the earth. That's their focus. Their focus is in the moment, in the time. Hey, if I tarry... You guys need to know how you ought to behave in the house of God. So we got bishops and deacons and a local assembly, and we got this and we got that. And by the way, just so you know, the end days are going to all be in apostasy, but you continue in the truth. You do this. This is what's going to happen. Older men, you need to teach the younger men. Older women, you need to teach the younger women. And you've got a ministry to be done and to do right here in the earth as ambassadors. That's what Timothy, Titus, and Philemon's all about. Nothing about going to heaven. The rest of the books, that's why we did what we just did, by the way. He's, the focus is our final resting place isn't the mortuary. It's the heavenly places. 
Come back with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I hope that helps you, gets you kind of in the mindset here. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, as we begin to talk about the heaven, the heavens, the heavenly places. Okay? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we'll start in verse number 1. For we know that if our earthly house... Of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan earnestly, desiring to be clothed upon with our house, which is from, notice, heaven. Notice how Paul uses heavens and heaven. We have two different locales here. But yet we're, he's discussing something very specific. We have a building. Our earthly house of this tabernacle, we have a building of God. A house, not a building, a house. A dwelling place. He's talking about the, the, the body. We have our old bodies. They're, they're going to die off. By the way, 2 Corinthians 5, the first six verses here, tells you the state of the dead one, our dead loved ones in Christ are in. Our old bodies are going to die off. What are we looking for? We're looking for a body that's from heaven. It's not made with hands. So he talks about heaven in reference to the third heaven where God is. And then he talks about heavens down here where we're at and where we're going to function and operate. It's not made with hands. God's going to make this body from the throne room. He's already made it. If you look over at verse 17, there if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature, something created, a new type of humanity, something new here. And again, you go over to Colossians 3, you go to Romans 6, you see all that new identity. That's why verse 17 is an identity verse. But we have, we have this new. It's made without hands, eternal in the heavens. We're groaning earnestly, verse 2, and desiring to be clothed upon with our house, which is from heaven. We've got this body, this new body he's going to give us that he's created and the design is to focus and to push and to cause us to be able to do the things that we're to be doing in the heavenly places. Verse 3, If so be that being clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we that are in this tabernacle do groan, being burdened, not for that we, were, we would be unclothed, but clothed upon that mortality might be swallowed up of life. Think about that. What's our, usually we, you know, you ask somebody how they're doing, you get an organ recital. <laughs> this hurts, that hurts, <laughs> you know. But what are, honestly, what are we waiting for? What's the only blessing that we've been promised that we haven't received in reality? It's our new body. So what are we groaning for? We're groaning for something new. We're groaning for that new body. Yesterday, we were here. We put the new camera in, and I was up in the rafters. 
and walk, pulling the wire across. And, and, you know, I got to thinking why I was up there and not Ricky. He's the young one. But the thing is, is this morning I woke up and my parts of my thighs and my legs that I haven't used in a long time are going, hey, you haven't used me in a long time. <laughs> you know, so what do you, you groan, you take a little Advil and, and, you're, and you get moving on because what are we looking for? We're, we're, we're wanting to be clothed and not be found naked. Isn't that interesting how your soul pictures your body as being clothed? Not na- it's, a, it's a vehicle. It's what's moving me around. Verse 6, verse 5, Now he that hath wrought us for the selfsame thing is God, who also, also hath given us the earnest of the Spirit. Therefore we are always confident, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We're confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. We're going to get this new body. It was fashioned in the heavens. The heavens. It's made without hands. This is a body that God has made. It's a body that God has created. And it's, and it's going right into the position it's equipping us, the body, the church, the body of Christ, to then go function in the heavenly places out there. Come over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So the reason that Paul focuses in and uses that term heaven in every book, several times in a couple of the books, is because that's where our new body is, that's where our home is, that's where our function is. Notice this body, this new body. 1 Corinthians 15. Boy, 1 Corinthians 15 is a powerful passage because it deals with the issue about resurrection. And if you say there was no resurrection, there, then, then were most men miserable, we might as well just go home, sell the buildings, cash it all in, and be done. But because there was a resurrection, look at what it's going to benefit us. Look at what it's going to do for us. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15, verse number 50. By the way, notice verse 49. We're going to do this, and we shall, and, and as we have borne the image of the earthy, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. There's Philippians 3, 20 and 21 about being fashioned like his glorious body. We'll, we'll get there in just in a little bit. Now this, verse 50. So 1 Corinthians 15, 50. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom, neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. Behold. So he's going to begin to tell us here about our new body, about this body that he has, this resurrected, resurrection body. Notice there in verse 50, he says that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. It, it, that's interesting. Look, look over at Luke 24. Some of this I, I don't want to get bogged down in, but I don't want to miss it either. Luke 24, after the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, he goes in and he appears to the, 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 the little flock the apostles. Luke 24, if you start in verse 36, and as they thus spoke, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them 
and said unto them, Boo. <laughs> I, always, I think that's what he really did. I, I know the, the verse says, Peace be unto you, but I know he said, Boo. Just to, sh you know, hey. No, he says, Peace be unto, them, be unto you. But they were terrified and affrighted, and supposed that they had seen a spirit. And he said unto them, Why are ye troubled? And why do thoughts arise in your hearts? Notice he's reading their meter. He's reading their mind. Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see. For a spirit hath not flesh and bones, as ye see me, what? Have. Notice there's nothing about there about flesh and blood. He shed his blood at Calvary. By the way, where's the taint of sin at? It's in the blood. But notice, by the way, verse 40, And when he had thus spoken, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they yet believed not for joy and wonder, he said, Have ye here any meat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and a and of honeycomb. He took it and did eat before them. So guess what? Your new bodies, guess what you're going to get to do? Eat. Okay? And be there as well. When you come back to 1 Corinthians 15, 50, you know what he says? Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood. In Luke 24, after the resurrection, guess what? There's no blood. So guess what we're talking about? No earthy thing is going to inherit. This is a spiritual condition. We're going to have a new spiritual body. No flesh, no just flesh and bones, no blood issue, no sin issue. The life of the flesh, Leviticus 17 says, is where? In the blood. Right? Our bodies are going to be fashioned like his body. Well, what does his body not have? That taint of blood. It's a spiritual condition. Romans 3 over there, the wages of sin is death. But life isn't in the blood. That's where the sin is. Right? He gets rid of the corrupted blood. But the, wage, um, but the gift of God is eternal life. So there's some things in that new creation and that new creature of you and I when we get our new bodies that are going to be some changes because of the issue of sin and because of the issue of there being no tainted blood. Now if you think about the Lord Jesus Christ, he was made of a woman, wasn't he? He was human, 100%. So what did he have? He had blood flowing through his body. You know, get a cut his finger, he'd have bled, but it just had no sin. So that's something to kind of think about and wrap your head about. 1 Corinthians 15. Let's look here quickly at verse 51. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Again, I show you a mystery. This is information that's strictly given exclusively to the Apostle Paul about the church, the body of Christ, about some future events and future conditions. The trump, we shall not all sleep, again, talking about death, but we shall all be changed. In the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised in, uh, incorruptible, and we shall be changed. The trump, we're going to look at this in greater detail. 
Corruption is going to put on incorruption. Mortal, only in the earth, belongs to the earth, is going to put on immortality. That's verse 53. For the, the corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that it is written, Isaiah 25, death is swallowed up in victory. It's all over. Verse 55, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin. The strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory. The victory of what? The victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. But it's the victory over sin and death. That's the issue. There's going to be a day when we're all going to be changed. We're all going to be given a new body. The details of how it's going to happen is found over in 1 Thessalonians 4, 14 to 18 there, about the rapture and, the, and him coming and so forth. We're going to look at all of that. And that's the process whereby when we get our new bodies and we meet the Lord in the air, we have that moment of the judgment seat of Christ, and then we're taken and presented to the, to the Father and we're placed out into the heavenly places. And again, if you look over here, Back up at verse 51, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. We're going to, there's going to be a movement. We're going to get our glorified bodies. We're going to get this new, we're going to be this new creature in the heavenly places. Now come over with me to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. Did I lose you? I hope not. I hope you're with me. I know online we've got, you know, you can always go back and watch the YouTube, slow it down, pause it and whatnot. But when Paul begins to talk about the heaven and the heavens and the heavenly places, you and I can't get there the way we are now. We're going to get a new body, but that new body was guaranteed to us without hands in the heaven, made by God, so that we're going to get it, and that's how we're going to be able to function up here. Now, we're going to look at it, well... We're going to spend a whole study or half a whole study looking at 1 Corinthians 15 and the new body and going through that as well. So I don't think I'm just skipping something to skip. But I need you to look here at Ephesians 3 and notice why we're getting the new body, why we're going to be this new creation in the heavenly places. Verse number 8, let's start there. Unto me, talk, Paul talking here, who am less than the least of all saints, is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery. Paul says my ministry, by the way, your ministry as an ambassador is to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ to the Gentiles and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery. Preach the truth and then go live the truth and put it on display for everyone to see. Come over here and preach who you are in Christ. Get the doctrine out there. Get the gospel out there. Do everything you're to do and then come over here and then go live what you're preaching. Practice what you preach. We've heard that. Okay? Verse 10. To the intent that now, under the principalities and powers in heavenly places, might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. So not only are you going to have an impact on man, 
Now you're having an impact out there into the heavenly places, which right now are sitting under the authority. Uh, he's the prince, the power of the air, the authority of the adversary. He's got all that. They're watching you just as you and I work and work alongside, move alongside unsaved. There's the elect angel moving alongside the fallen angel. And we have an impact that these guys watch us, pay attention to what's going on. They begin to learn about the manifold wisdom of God. Verse 11. Why is all that happening? According to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Why are we looking to, what's the purpose? Why are we spending the time? We're three or four weeks into this. Why are we spending the time? Because it's the eternal purpose that God the Father planned in His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Why does the creation groan and travail and wait and desire to have the creatures be where they belong. The sons of God be where they belong. Why do they come along and, and desire and want that to be the case? Because that's the eternal purpose of the Godhead. Come back to chapter 2. We'll wrap up here. You see, folks, there's a reason why Romans 8 says it the way it says it. There's a reason why all of this, there's a reason why Paul talks about the heaven all through his epistles and what's happening and where we're going and what we're doing. There's a reason why the Old Testament and early Acts through early Acts goes through all the things talking about Israel and the little flock and the things happening on the earth. There's a reason why the, the, the creation is waiting, earnestly desiring, they're, they're waiting for it to come to completion because it's been the eternal purpose. Way back before the foundation, way back before anything ever began to of the Godhead to do. And our, eternal, our eternity sits right there. And you know what? We need to know about that. <laughs> I think that, that's exciting. I think that's great hope today. To be able to understand and to know and to see and to look into these things. Ephesians 2, verse number 6. And hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come he may show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us through Christ Jesus. Boy, that's it right there. That issue, the creation, is set back to its proper condition, to its pure state, the new heaven, the new earth. And our eternal hope, our eternity, you know what? Sets in the heavenly places. And what we need to understand is how we get there. Through the event we call the rapture, Paul calls it our gathering together. Through the event that he says, calls it the day of redemption. So we're going to go look at that. Spend a couple weeks looking at that event. Looking at the shout and the voice and the trump. By the way, the trump of God, the, 
that's not, nothing to do with the trumpets in Revelation. We'll look at all that. We'll get caught up in that now. What I just want you to understand today, a great thing. You and I, we are called the sons of God. Because he has a purpose for us in the heavenly places. Paul tells us about that purpose and that movement to the heavenly places. And when you get that grasp and you get that thought process into your mind, then, man, whatever's happening in the world about us is nothing compared to the glory that shall be revealed in us, Romans 8, 18. Boy, that's, that's where we need to focus, okay? All right, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for the folks. We thank you for the folks online, for the folks that are here, for their desire to, to, to study, to look into these things, and to, and to have them in their understanding for your honor and for your glory, that it would redound to that. And that as we go day by day in the, in the world around us, as it's changing, as it's under the, in, the, in the moments, that we would be that ambassador that you would have us to be, and that we would stand and be, have some calmness and have some stillness about us because we understand these things and we understand the future. And we have that hope in it. And not only do we have that hope in it, we would have others to have the same hope. In your name we pray, amen. Okay.